Shelton stated, we certainly honor the mothers present in the assembly, some of the greatest mothers on earth are assembled right here. And we uh, lift you up in our hearts and minds in love and appreciation for what you have done and those of you who are mightily involved in rearing these children in harmony with the will of God. What a blessing. We appreciate Hope and Jim and the great, great picnic we had yesterday. The entire event was just wonderful. We look forward to that every year. Uh, the weather held off and allowed us to have a very enjoyable time and we enjoyed it very much. This is the 11th lesson in our series on questions from God. And in this lesson we will look at questions or a question that God raised to Ahaziah, Sennacherib, Joash, and the army of Israel. Ahaziah was the son of Ahab and Jezebel. When Ahab died, he became the eighth king to reign over Israel, suffering from a serious injury resulting from a fall. He commissioned messengers to inquire of the Baal god of the Philistine city of Ekron as to whether he would live or die. God assigned an angel to Elijah with a pungent question for Ahaziah through his messengers. Is it not because there is not a God in Israel that ye go to inquire of Beelzebub, the God of Ekron? 2 Kings 1.3 He was then informed that he would die because he sought aid from an idol instead of from God. What a price to pay. And what a question this is. Life is replete with problems, troubles, and trials. The preponderance of humanity has never learned the principle embodied in this question. When confronted with questions in need of answers, perplexities searching for solutions, and adversities pleading for aid, man prostrates himself before everyone but God and consults everything but the Bible. How can a man extract meaning from life when he rejects Genesis chapter 1? What is left? the thinking and rationalism of man, the very thing that created many of his problems. Life becomes a vicious circle, preventing man from liberating himself from it because he is the one that created it. It's 
One of the tragedies of life concerning which the majority of people in the world never learn from. Just going around an endless circle, continuing to create his own problems by divorcing his thinking from God and centering it on his own. He has become his own worst enemy. Solomon said, he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. Proverbs 28, 26. The world is so full of itself, it has no left room over for God. It exhibits a spirit of indifference toward religious concerns. Contemporary conversations are consumed with sports, politics, physical, and material affairs. Introducing a biblical or spiritual question usually provokes silence a spirit of awkwardness and a quick change of the subject matter. They don't want to talk about biblical and spiritual questions. The world never desires what it really needs. The sources of which it seeks counsel to remedy the problems and troubles of life often do more harm than good. Any individual, group, or institution offering assistance for life's adversities that have not been influenced by biblical principles are like the 25 princes of Judah of whom God said to Ezekiel, these are the men that devise mischief and give wicked counsel in this city. Ezekiel 11, 2. Our cities today are full, running over with men and women like that, devising wicked counsel and producing mischief in our cities. No wonder our cities are in such trouble. Over 600,000 men of war in Israel perished in the wilderness because they believed the wicked counsel of the ten spies instead of God's repetitive promises for centuries that he would give them the land of Canaan. Heeding the vile advice of Jonadab played a major role in Amnon's rape of his half-sister and laid the foundation for his own death at the hand of Absalom through his servants. That's what the wicked counsel of one man caused. 2 Samuel 13. A prophet from Judah was killed by a lion because he believed the lie of an old prophet from Bethel. 2 Kings 13. Ahab rejected the admonition of a prophet of God, believed the lie of 400 false prophets, and lost his life and soul on the field of battle. 1 Kings 22. Joash spurned the teaching and influence of Jehoiada the priest, embraced the evil advocacy of the princes of Judah, and perished at the hands of his own servants. 2 Chronicles 23. Allowing divine counsel to be supplanted by human counsel is an invitation to disaster. Hezekiah was the 12th king of Judah. Joined by Jotham, Jehoshaphat, and Josiah, he was one of the four kings of Judah to both begin 
and in his reign in truth and righteousness. During his rule, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came against Jerusalem and demanded Hezekiah's total surrender. He ridiculed the king and his military capabilities, but he sealed his doom when he waged verbal warfare against God, reducing him, God, to the level of an idol in kinship with others whom he had already conquered. He thought he could take on God and win that battle because he had taken on these deaf, dumb idols and won those battles. What a mistake. Through his spokesman, God raised this question to Sennacherib. Whom hast thou reproached and blasphemed? And against whom hast thou exalted thy voice and lifted up thine eyes on high? That was God's question. And he answered it himself with, even against the Holy One of Israel. 2 Kings 19, 22. Twice God referred to Sennacherib's rage against him. 2 Kings 19, 27 and 28. God informed him that he would defend Jerusalem and not a single Assyrian arrow would enter the city. That night an angel of God slew 185 Assyrian soldiers and some years later while worshiping in the temple of his idol, Sennacherib was killed by his own sons. What a way to live and what a way to die. What greater sin can be committed than blaspheming God? Having left Egypt and while Israel was camped at Mount Sinai, an Israelitish woman's son blasphemed the name of the Lord and cursed. Leviticus 24, 11. The last and biggest mistake he ever made. God commanded Israel to stone him to death and then commanded the death penalty for blaspheming God, a perpetual statute in Israel. How much difference can be discerned between blaspheming God and blaspheming the thoughts of God from the mind of God in the Word of God? What difference can be perceived in blaspheming God and blaspheming the Bible? And the truth is, there is no difference. Man wants total control over himself, his mind, his thinking, and his conduct. That is what Eve wanted. And except for a minute spiritual residue of humanity, that is what man has coveted ever since. He yearns for unfettered freedom, liberation from law with its restraints and restrictions. Man's problem is not with God. It is with the thinking and thoughts of God revealed in laws and commandments that interfere with his desire to do and live as he pleases without having to account for his conduct. Man would be happy with God if he would sit quietly in heaven and keep his thoughts to himself and leave man alone to do as he pleases without having to give an account for his behavior. 
Man shares in Sennacherib's rage against God when he endeavors to govern his own conduct. Driven by pride and fleshly lust, he resents any external force that attempts to regulate his life. He detests thou shall and thou shall not and scorns any effort to tell him what to do. The psalmist described God as doing whatsoever he hath pleased. Psalm 115.3. And that is what man desires for himself. Many who would refrain from verbalizing blasphemy against God hesitate not in joining Judah in casting away the law of the Lord of hosts and despise the word of the God of Israel. Isaiah 5.24. They manifest their hatred for the truth as they affirm, prophesy not unto us right things. That's not what we want to hear. Speak unto us smooth things. Prophesy deceits. Isaiah 30 verse 10. Contempt for the truth is contempt for God who is its source. Athaliah was the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. At the death of Ahaziah, her son, she usurped the throne of Israel, of Judah, and reigned for seven years. She slew her own grandchildren in order to secure her rule over Judah. Ahaziah's sister, Jehoshabath, saved Joash, her brother's son, and she and her husband, Jehoiada the high priest, hid that little boy in the temple for six years. They knew that's the last place on earth Athaliah had any concern for. In the seventh year of her reign, Athaliah was slain and Joash, the legitimate descendant of David, was placed upon the throne of Judah. Of him inspiration declares, and Joash did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Hear this. All the days of Jehoiada the priest. 2 Chronicles 24.2. Tragically, this is a sad and tragic story about a man who under the influence of a great spiritual man did so well. When Jehoiada died, the evil influence of the princes of Judah prevailed over the righteous guidance of Jehoiada. And Joash and Judah, quote, left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served groves and idols. 2 Chronicles 24, 18. Through Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, God raised a momentous question to Joash. And what a question this is. We could spend the next 50 years if I had them to live just doing this series on questions from God. Here's the question that God raised to Joash. Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord that ye cannot prosper? Second Chronicles 24, 20. Joash responded to Zechariah's rebuke by having him stoned to death. What a fool of a man he was. Started off wonderfully well. And now here he is in this tragic state. As a result, God used a small army of Syrians to vanquish a huge host in Judah. 
with all of their princes, and as Joash lay upon his bed in broken health, he was killed by his own servants. What a way to end your life, and what a way to die. Man's greatest struggle in life is with himself. That is the reason Jesus pointed to self-denial as the way to spiritual advancement. Luke 9, verse 23. The world hates laws and commandments because they are obstacles to pride, self-will, and fleshly pleasure. They are inhibitive and demanding, and accountability is innate to them. The bulk of humanity is incapable of perceiving that God's laws and commandments are, and this is one of the verses, a piece of it, that our children are learning under Jeff's teaching. For our good. Deuteronomy 6, 24. They are intended to save man from himself. Do we not need that? To promote his well-being and prevent his spiritual ruin and the loss of his soul. That's what God's laws and commandments, these thou shalts and thou shalt nots. These restrictions and restraints are all about. What a positive intent they have. Even God's negative statutes are endowed with a positive design. A world of woes could be adverted if man would just heed God's decree not to murder, commit adultery, steal, or bear false witness. Just take those four. Just take one of those four. What a difference that could make. God told Joash that he was not going to prosper because he had transgressed the commandments of the Lord. He lost the battle with himself. He hearkened to princes who desired to use him instead of God who wanted to save him. The spiritual mind is not surprised to hear God say, fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole of life, the whole of man. Ezekiel 12, 13. Jotham was the 10th king of Judah. He was one of four kings of the southern kingdom to open and close his rule in righteousness. The inspired description of his reign is noteworthy. Now here was a good man. So Jotham became mighty because he prepared his ways before the Lord his God. 2 Chronicles 27 says, It is appalling to consider that one of the most righteous kings of Judah was the father of Ahaz, one of the most wicked kings to wield the scepter over the nation. Ahaz reached the pinnacle of human depravity when he offered his children in sacrifice to idols. 2 Chronicles 28.3. Under God's righteous judgment, his army was smitten by the Syrians and 120,000 perished in one day by the sword of Israel because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. That's Israel's sword raised against Judah's sword because Judah had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. 2 Chronicles 28.6. But Israel exceeded God's judgment with a spirit of excessive rage. And by taking 200,000 captives with the intention of placing them in servitude, conduct strictly forbidden by the law. Leviticus 25, 46. Through Odad the prophet, God raised this question to the army of Israel. And what a question this is. 
This is a series of five or six sermons in itself. Are there not with you, even with you, sins against the Lord your God? Second Chronicles 28.10. This compelling inquiry points again to the basic aim of God's questions. They are designed to provoke man to engage in self-examination. To encourage him to scrutinize himself, his conduct, and his motives for it. Israel's sin was twofold. The, soul in the, the sword in their hand was God's sword of righteous judgment against Judah. But what had they done? They had wielded it in a rage that reacheth up unto heaven, 2 Chronicles 28, 9. They sinned in disposition of heart, having often experienced the sword of Judah against themselves. They exhibited sadistic delight in being God's sword against them. They manifested pleasure in what God never does, the death of the wicked. Ezekiel 33, 11. They unleashed their swords in a spirit of national vengeance. But God said, that's my business, not yours. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Romans 12, 19. David was a man of war. 1 Chronicles 28, 3. He was God's agent of judgment against heathen nations, but he did not raise his sword in a spirit of personal gratification or revenge. Though kinsmen in the flesh, the Moabites were bitter enemies of Israel. Yet Isaiah bewailed the necessity of God's judgment on Moab, declaring, My heart shall cry out for Moab. Isaiah 15, 5. This should have been the spirit that Israel internalized against their brethren in Judah. They should have had a family meeting before that battle. And they should have joined Isaiah's disposition of heart by weeping over the necessity of what they had been called upon to do. Moreover, they ruined, they sinned in conduct by taking two hundred thousand captives with the objective of enslaving them with no concern for their present needs. There were many women and children in this multitude of captives. Their husbands and their fathers had been killed. They were now widows and orphans and were destitute of clothing Shoes, food, and drink. And some were so feeble, they had to have help in order to travel. Second Chronicles 28, 15. Four leaders in the tribes, or the tribe of Ephraim, confronting the victorious army in Israel, who had themselves sinned in heart and deed and said. Now these are what these four men said to this returning victorious army who had sinned in conduct and sinned in disposition of heart. Ye shall not bring in the captains hither, 
For whereas we have offended against the Lord already, ye intend to add more to our sins and to our trespass, for our trespass is great and there is fierce wrath against Israel. Second Chronicles 28, 13. That was a good short speech that got to the heart of the matter. They proceeded to provide for the needs of the captives and return them to their own brethren. Again, if prior to unsheathing God's sword of judgment against Judah, the army of Israel had engaged in deliberation of their own sins and feelings, they would not have added sin to sin in their rage and mistreatment of their fellow brethren. Now let us close with this thought-provoking comment. There is no attitude of heart that serves as a greater preventer of sin than personal examination and self-reflection. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Christ, it's that kind of disposition of heart that will move you to do so. Personal reflection, self-examination, hopefully what all of us have already done in partaking of the Lord's Supper. Because divine inspiration says that's one of the things we need to do. Examine ourselves. You've not obeyed the gospel by faith and repent of your sins, confessing Christ, being baptized into Christ, then self-examination will urge you to do that. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. If you obeyed the gospel a long time ago, but you're no longer faithful or you've sinned in some public way, do you know the only way you can continue to do that? The only way you can continue to travel that road, that road of disaster, where you're going to end up just like some of these that we have read about, ended up. The only way you can do that with any kind of conscience is just refuse to think about yourself and what you've done and where you stand. Examine yourself and reflecting upon yourself and your sins before God. If you don't do that, you're going to continue on the road you are. And you're going to wind up separated from God for all of eternity because you refused to engage in self-reflection. You need to obey the gospel or be restored to your first love. We hope you'll do that right now while we stand and say. Understands each lonely heartache, he understands because he cares. My Jesus knows just what I need. Oh, yes, he knows just what I need. He satisfies and every need supplies. Yes, he knows. Just what I need My Jesus knows When I am burdened He knows how much My heart can bear 
lift me up when I am sinking and brings me joy beyond compare. My Jesus knows just what I need. Oh, yes, he knows just what I need. He satisfies and every need supplies. Yes, he knows just what I need. When other friends seem to forget me, when skies are dark, when hope is gone, by faith I feel his arms about me and hear him say, you're not alone. My Jesus knows just what I need. Oh, yes, he knows just what I need. He satisfies and every need supplies. Yes, he knows just what I need.